Real quickly, there's more violence than usual this week. It's Vikings. If that's a concern, please see the post on MythPodcast.com for more info. This week on Myths and Legends, we're back in the Viking Legends, and you'll see why giants might not be the best choice for a daycare, and why, contrary to popular belief, it is not a good idea to wake the dead against their will via forbidden arcane rituals. The creature this time is an actual way to get superpowers. If you don't mind those superpowers, including talents for your hands and feet and hot garbage breath. This is Myths and Legends, Episode 110, Alone. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. We're back in Norse mythology, kind of. Like I said when we hit Ragnarok, the stories of the gods are finished. But, like in Greek mythology, the gods, giants, and monsters show up in the stories of the heroes all the time. This is one such story, that of a guy named Hadingus. The story takes place in the 500s AD, among the legendary kings of Denmark. Oh, and first a quick note. I used the term Viking throughout the episode, but these weren't really Vikings yet. We're still about 200-ish years away. However, the term makes more sense for this podcast than seafaring early medieval Scandinavian warrior. And besides, once they run out of room in Scandinavia, their great-great-grand Vikings would eventually terrorize Europe. It was a textbook Viking romance. Graham was a brash young prince. Gro was a beautiful princess betrothed to a giant. Graham introduced himself in disguise, won her heart, and bludgeoned the giant fiancé to death, thus winning her hand in marriage. The pair, after all they endured, lived happily ever after. Until he met someone else, divorced Groa, and exiled her from the land. Lesson, don't date Viking kings. Signy, the other woman, had a beauty that inspired rumors from worlds away, and when Graham first laid eyes on her, he could see why. Unfortunately, he was first laying eyes on her at her wedding. She'd ignored him for weeks, until he had become unavoidable. She had sent a reply saying that, really, no thank you. She wasn't into him. She had never met the guy. Signy was marrying Henry, king of the Saxons. Please, lose her number. Graham decided that Signy clearly didn't know what she was talking about, despite her repeating it consistently for months, and decided that he'd invite himself to her wedding. Surely, if she would just see his face, Signy would see that this Henry guy was nothing. However, plan A took a decidedly different turn. By now, the wedding crowd was pretty rowdy, and with everyone sufficiently hammered, Graham took the opportunity to hammer the head of Henry the King of the Saxons and anyone who stood between him, Signy, and the door. He disappeared before anyone was sober enough to follow, and escaped on a getaway ship, docked conveniently outside. Signy was his new wife, and since everyone was already dressed up, the wedding became a funeral. I mean, it was a Viking wedding, so there was actually a pretty good chance of it turning into a funeral anyway. Well, even in the Viking world, you couldn't be a one-man red wedding and get away with it. Viking kings were emphatically okay with killing other Viking kings. It was like their number one endorsed skill on LinkedIn. 
They were not okay, however, with people sneaking into weddings and killing all their friends while they were drunk. Graham stood by his right to violently abduct women from wedding feasts and force them into marriage, and so he and pretty much every other king in Scandinavia came into conflict. And he was cut down. Hard. He died doing what he loved. Being a murderous, unrepentant jerk. Still, Signy had it worst of all. The best day of her life had abruptly turned into the worst day of her life on the day her husband was murdered. Then, she was essentially held captive for five years and had a child with her captor. If their revenge was to be complete, Signy knew the child wouldn't be safe as long as he stayed with her in their world. In Midgard, she sent word, and it returned by Raven. That night, despite the storm, she let a boat loose in the water, and the infant looked on the twelve-foot swells as he careened into the night. He was going to the land of the giants, leaving the world of the humans. He was going to Jotunheim. Sixteen years later, Hedingus, the baby, was now not a baby, and he was fighting, and not the type of fighting that he liked, you know, the kind with stabbing and killing and way too much red. No, it was the relationship kind of fighting, and he wasn't winning. He had been in this on-again, off-again relationship with an older lady since about the time he came of age. The irony was, they were fighting about fighting. Hedingus was obsessed with combat, being the best, and returning to Midgard to avenge his father and retake his throne. But here, Hargrep, a beautiful giant, was professing her love to him, again. Sure, keep fighting, she would say, but also ease up a bit. Enjoy life. Enjoy life with her. And, oh, okay, what was that grimace? What was it about her that he found so repulsive? Was it her age? Was it her looks? Was it the fact that she breastfed him as a baby and was basically a mother to him since he arrived there? Hadinga stopped her right there. Yes, it was that one. It was only ever always that one. It was too weird. Plus, the Atnar were big. He could maybe put the whole surrogate mom thing out of his mind, but it came right back when he was walking along toddler size next to her. Hargrip, the giant, shrunk down to the size of an average human woman, and, with a smirk, she changed, well, everything about her except for that smirk. The years fell off, and she was a young woman, just a little older than Hadingus. And, no joke, explaining about the complete history of the Yatnar, and how they were giants, but also magic giants, that could change size and appearance at will. It's not really canon for Norse mythology, so don't worry, it won't be on the final. But I personally love this depiction, because it helps explain why the giants are sometimes just a little bigger than Thor and Loki, but also why the Asgardians could spend a night camping out in a giant's glove. Hadingus's jaw dropped. Here, before him, was a girl. A real human-looking girl. In Jotunheim, even the babies were already half his height. Hargrip smiled. Hadingus was starting to come around. And so, she kissed him. In a different way than she had ever kissed him as a caretaker. He stopped her. Alright, let's go for it. Just... Don't mention breastfeeding me as a baby when you're trying to woo me, or really, ever again. Hargrip stood beaming. She knew dropping down to his size would do it. She had done this so many times to get with good-looking human guys. Hadingus barely managed to, wait, how many times? 
before she kissed him again. Waves sloshed on the side of the boat as Hedingus breathed deeply, soaking up the saltwater air. At last, he was going home. A ship had wrecked a few weeks back on the shores of Jotunheim, and, seizing the opportunity, Hedingus stepped in before the giants pickled the humans and stored them away for winter or whatever they did. The warriors, happy to help and even happier to do literally anything to get out of giant land, agreed to let Hedingus lead their quest home, with the option to stay on for some light pillaging and raiding when they arrived. The giants, kind of having forgotten that Hedingus the local human was still hanging around, agreed to help him build a comparatively tiny longboat. If you're thinking, hey, what about Hedingus's confusing relationship with his tiny giant girlfriend, slash wet nurse? Well, worry no more. Because she transformed again, and went all in on the look and smell of an early Middle Ages Scandinavian warrior. Hedingus stared in disbelief at the crewman approaching fast, arms outstretched. Great. Yeah, it wasn't like he was hoping to leave that weirdness of world away or anything. Before they left, Hargrip's father, a Jotun by the name of Wagonhold, met them at the docks with a gift, saying that if Wagonhold insisted on leaving with this thing, then they needed to protect themselves. Not like that. He gave Hedingus a magical horn, saying that all he needed to do was blow it, and the Jotnar would be there at a moment's notice to protect him and Hargrip. With that, he said goodbye to his daughter and his de facto little son-in-law, and the humans and one giant left for home. The trip home seemed to last forever, but one night, they found the stars had changed. They were home. They were in Midgard. It was Hargrip's idea, but she and Hedingus were having some alone time on one of the islands where they had docked when they saw the lights. It was an entire procession moving through the woods. Curiosity proved too much, and so Hedingus and his adoptive mom-slash-girlfriend followed the lights and stumbled upon a whole village. A funeral procession flowed past them through the forest and to a nearby graveyard where they were laying an old man to rest. Hedingus and Hargrip watched quietly from the trees as the villagers piled up the late man's goods next to him, and they left one guy to guard the body. In time, the watchman nodded off, Hedingus shrugged and made to leave, but Hargrip remained, transfixed on the dead man in the clearing. Wasn't her lover slash shipmate slash adopted son curious about how the man died? Hedingus shook his head. Not really. They were Vikings. People died. A lot. But Hargrip was already making her way toward the clearing, waving her hands and saying an incantation. A tablet appeared in her hands. She placed it in the dead man's mouth, and his eyes opened. Perished, accursed he who hath dragged me from those below. Let him be punished for calling a spirit out of bale. You mean she, but what... Hargrip started to say. Before the dead man looked at her and began talking louder. Her entrails would be crushed, her limbs torn from her body, and she would be dragged to the underworld for this. That was when Hedingus sprinted to the body and snatched the tablet before the undead man could utter another word. By now, the useless watchman had woken up right as the dead man had, actually. And when he saw his friend speaking again, he rightfully ran away in terror. Hedingus stood there confused, but Hargrip just laughed. It wasn't the first time she had been threatened by a dead man. And it wouldn't be the last. 
and, hmm, did Hedingus feel that? A tremor shook the ground. Hedingus looked all around. Could that be related to the dead man who just threatened her with kidnappers from hell? And that's H-E-L, it's a Norse thing, not the Christian hell. Hargurt chuckled nervously. No, no. Hey, on an unrelated note, want to run back to the ship as fast as we can? Hadingus nodded, and they both took off in a run. Hadingus's heart pounded as they made their way out of the forest. In the distance, they could see the campfires near the ship on the shoreline. That was when the hands came. Hadingus dodged the first few, but eventually a finger caught him by the toe, and he went down. But the hands weren't after him. Hargrip had been caught about ten feet back and tumbled to the sand. Now, dozens of decaying, bony hands were bursting through the ground, coming after her to drag her to hell. But they were up against a Jotun, one of the giants, a magical, powerful people that rivaled the Acer and the Vanir. Hadingus heard a yell, followed by an explosion. The hands flew backwards as Hargrip released her true power, her true size. She grew until she was full height, and the earth trembled again. But this time... It wasn't from the hands. Hargrip smirked and smashed any hands that came for her. Hadingus sighed. Of course she was going to be okay. She was a giant after all. She she was starting to despair. She looked toward the forest, and hands, dozens of them, as big as she was, were coming from the trees. The trees flew from the ground as the hands came up from the forest and grabbed Hargrip's arms and legs. She strained and was even able to destroy a few hands, but for every one she destroyed, two more took its place. She fought and fought, but soon they had her locked in place. Hadingus tried to run to her, but the smaller hands in his own feet kept him and his axe at bay, while Hargrip mouthed one final, I love you, before the hands did exactly as the dead man had promised. They pulled her apart and dragged her, piece by piece, to the underworld. A few moments later, the land was clear, and, save for a few uprooted trees, there was no evidence of the otherworldly battle that had just taken place. Hadingus couldn't speak. He couldn't move. He couldn't believe what he had just seen. That she... that she was gone. Wow, can you believe that? Her just leaving you here alone? <laughs> Giants, am I right? Hadingus heard from his left. Hadingus raised his axe and turned to see an elderly man hunched over next to him in the field. He demanded that the strange one-eyed man who had just appeared from nowhere identify himself. And also, Hargrip didn't abandon him. She had been dragged to hell by vicious spectral hands and... Oh, wait. One-eyed old man? What's your name? The old man replied that it was Lysir. Nice to meet you. Are you sure? Are you sure it's Lysir? Are you sure it's not... Odin? What? No, I wish. If I was Odin, I'd be so much more muscular. Better looking, too. I mean, that guy's jawline alone. You could use it to level a bookshelf. I mean, you know, if we have books. I'd be smarter, too. Odin's the god of wisdom and royalty, but he's also associated with death and battles, so I'd also have this, like, edge. He's like a professor who leads a biker gang on the weekends and can also bench, like, 400 pounds. Uh, he's so awesome. But no, no, I'm not him. Did you just wink at me? Hadingus asked. It's really hard to tell. You only have one eye. The stranger shook his head. He would have no reason to wink. 
He definitely wasn't the king of the gods with his effortlessly perfect hair. Then he winked again. I think he shook his head. He didn't have time to deal with this. His surrogate mother and his girlfriend were dead. The stranger who definitely wasn't Odin apologized. When did the guy's surrogate mom die? Oh, ew, ew. Yeah, this wasn't one of those mythologies that was really cool with that. And Hadinkus really seemed to be towing the incest line, but it looked like the problem took care of itself. Eh, Hadinkus? Hadinkus? Thoroughly annoyed with Lysir's non-consolations, Hadinkus had already stormed off in a huff back to his boat. When he arrived, everyone was getting ready to go. They had heard a lot of commotion inland. They looked at the pair and said, Oh, good, you guys are back. We were going to head out soon. Oh my gosh. Hargrip, what happened to your eye? When Hadinkus spun around, he saw her there. Hargrip, his mom slash girlfriend slash shipmate. Alive. And mysteriously missing an eye. Oh, Odin winked, or blinked, at Hadingus. It was really hard to tell. The man grinned and announced that they should all get aboard. We'll see what happens when they get back to Denmark, but that will be right after this. All right. Now back to the show. Lysir continued to annoy Hedingus, but eventually, Hedingus came to tolerate and even like the weird little wanderer. In time, they all made it back home, or what was left of it. Back in Denmark, a rival king named Loker had attacked and left the land war-torn and ravaged. The ship from Jotunheim arrived just as the others were leaving to bring the fight to Loker. Hedingus and his crew joined up, mainly because this was their home and Hedingus' rightful throne, and no king could come in and do that to them, but also mainly because they were flat broke, and first in the door could take as many riches as he could carry off. At the battle with Loker, Hedingus was the first off the boat, wading through the waters with arrows whizzing all around him. He took an arrow to the shoulder, snapped it off, and kept going. Enemy swords slashed and spears skewered, and still, he kept going. He made it deep into the enemy's army, fighting Vikings on all sides while cutting closer and closer to Loker himself, who commanded the fray from the rear. But that was when he felt it. A sword pierced into his back. Then a spear went through his leg and pinned him to the ground. He wouldn't be moving anymore. As he died... He thought of Hargrip, the giant he had loved, and the only family he had ever known. He thought of Lysir and his men, hopefully following him to Valhalla. As the Vikings stabbed the warrior who had taken out way, way too many of them, Hedingus' last thoughts were of home, Denmark, and how he had died honoring it. Don't look in front of us, Hedingus heard. It was a voice, a familiar voice, yet one that was harder than before, more commanding. Hedingus realized that he was riding a horse, but the horse, the horse had too many legs. He listened to the voice and averted his eyes downward and realized the horse was running over the ocean. You died, 
You're not dead anymore. You're going to feel like that for a while, the voice said. I died once. It's not something I plan to do again. The pair hit land as the voice said he had gone to hell herself to get Hedingus back. Hell was the daughter of an old friend, but he and that friend recently had a falling out, so Hedingus shouldn't make a habit of dying. Ah, here they are. Hedingus could look now. Hedingus lifted his head. They were back on the battlefield. Shocked, Hedingus glanced down at his own mangled corpse. The stranger shifted in his saddle and turned to look at him. It was Lysir. Hey, Hedingus, the old wanderer grated. I have something to tell you. I was secretly Odin the whole time. I, I know, Hedingus replied, but having seen the power his old friend commanded, he couldn't help but acknowledge a new level of respect. Oh, one more thing, Odin said, and then paused. It's been fun, but this is nearly goodbye. We'll be seeing each other one more time. After you're captured, look for me. Hedingus was confused. Captured? They were hovering over the battlefield. Odin had rescued him. The king of the gods nodded and shoved Hedingus from Slepnir, his horse. Hedingus plummeted to the battlefield and took the place of his lifeless corpse. When his eyes opened, Odin and the eight-legged horse were gone. There was only a morning sky full of crows. He tried to shake the bodies off of him, to run back to his men, but he found himself looking at a spear point as Lokir's warriors killed the wounded and took everyone else prisoner. Out of the corner of his eye, Hadingus thought he saw a raven take to the sky as the enemy hefted him off the ground and dragged him to the winding road leading to Lokir's mountain city. was a really good thing Hedingus was rich. Otherwise, he would be really, really poor. He limped away from the royal treasury. He was going to have to do something about this. Hedingus had been restored as the king of Denmark. It had been a long few years, but he owed all of his success to Odin. The morning he'd been captured, he saw the king of the gods in his cell. And when he blinked, Odin was gone, and his door was open. His jailers had forgotten to lock it, he stepped out and noticed that they were asleep. All of them, the jailers, the other prisoners, and then a raven called, and Hedingus knew what he had to do. Nearly everyone was asleep, and for those who weren't, Hedingus found that his old friend had given him a little something extra to help out, and that with basically no effort, he could punch Viking warriors through walls. He made his way up to Loker's home in the tallest tower and evicted him. The scream of the king plummeting to the city below was not enough to alert Hedingus' warriors, still on a nearby beach. But Hedingus queuing up some fire arrows and torching the city did the trick. As promised, he left with as much treasure as he could carry. After that, their little ragtag ship of nobodies was known in every corner of the Scandinavian world. Word that Hedingus, son of Graham, was back to retake his throne spread quickly and led to two things. Henry's father the guy Hedingus' father had killed to forcibly abduct his mother at her wedding, came looking for him, and the people Graham had left in charge of Denmark started spending. Asmund, the king of Sweden, met Hedingus on the battlefield. It was time to answer for Henry. No one but Hedingus knew that Hedingus, though a passable fighter, wasn't the legend they all believed he was. 
he had only made it out of Loker's stronghold because Odin wanted him to. He had actually died in battle last time, and he was afraid of dying again. Hedingus placed a hand on the horn on his belt, the one gifted to him by Hargrip's father, Wagonhold. He blew the horn, and it turned to dust in his hands and drifted away on the wind. Tremors rocked the battlefield as they arrived. It was the host of Jotunheim, the giants, the beans that made Thor himself literally wet his pants, and, hey, wait, where was Hargrip? Hedingus was pretty quick to suggest that they talk about it later, to which Hargrip's father replied, no, they would talk about it right now. Hedingus sighed, okay, the short version is she made a dead guy angry, and hands from hell came and tore her limb from limb, and now she's dead. That's actually the long version too. Now can we please deal with this group of Vikings that's about to attack? Wagonhole couldn't believe this guy. Why didn't he blow the horn then? If there was any time to blow the horn, it was when his daughter was being torn apart by monsters. Still, a deal was a deal. And Wagonhold and his fellow giants stomped the Swedish army like they were ants swarming a donut, told Hedingus not to call them again, and disappeared on the wind. Hedingus returned his gaze to the battlefield. The giants had left Asmund and his royal guard. Apparently, there were some things Hedingus had to do for himself. If he wanted his kingdom back, he had to earn it. It wouldn't be that difficult, though. They were outnumbered ten to one and on the run. Still, they weren't just going to lay down and die. And so, the fight began. They fought and took out nearly half of Hedingus's force until the final confrontation came down to Asmund and Hedingus. The father, bereft of everything because of Hedingus, charged the younger man. And he died. He took Hedingus's axe to the chest and fell. Hedingus walked over to the body and turned it over with his foot. But his axe wasn't in the man's chest. It was in his hand. Hedingus leapt back, and Asmund mostly missed. Mostly. The axe bit into Hedingus's foot and destroyed it. The king would live, but he would walk with the limp for the rest of his life. Hedingus's Vikings fell in on Asmund and helped the man toward the big mead house in the sky. That was three months ago. Since then, Hedingus had been welcomed home and given his father's throne. Now Henry, the King Graham killed, whose father Hedingus had just killed, had a brother. But he was sitting the next round out. He's not gone, however. Remember, this is a Norse saga, so pointlessly perpetuating a blood feud that has only brought death to both sides is never not an option. But for now, Uff, the kid, was going to take a breather and bury his grandfather and piece his kingdom back together. Hedingus stood at the window as the steward's feet stopped twitching on the gallows. He had come home to find his treasury empty and the steward that had been left in place bewildered. Hedingus had sympathy on the man and believed him when he pleaded that he didn't know what happened to the cash. The steward had his sympathy, but he also had his death sentence. Looking after the kingdom was the one thing he was supposed to do. So Hedingus put out a call to the nobles. Anyone who had his money could have the position of honor that the steward just had. The next day, Hedingus sputtered and spit out his drink. Had he misspoke? Wow. There, before him, stood a cheery noble. Nearly all the cash that he had pilfered from the royal treasury in hand, gleefully wanting the steward's position. Hedingus shrugged and hung him next to the former steward, doing pretty much exactly what he said he was going to do. After that, Hedingus ruled as one of the very early kings of Denmark, 
and he absolutely hated it. He had only ever known danger, excitement, and glory. Now, he was forced to manage sycophantic nobles, deal with the niceties of politics, and rule on just everything. Sure, the food was great, and everyone seemed to revere him, and he didn't miss exile, but it was also easy. Life on the throne would kill him faster than life on a longboat ever would. That's why, the following spring, he set out with his raiders to continue going after the people that had pretty rightfully killed his father. And five years down the road, he and his fellow warriors sat eating their horses, dogs, and other dead warriors. Things weren't going well. He had been at war with Sweden all this time, hunting down the son of the father of the guy who his dad had killed at his wedding because why not? Anyway, I hope you're catching a theme here, because without pretty profound supernatural aid, Hedinga seems like actually a solidly terrible warrior. He only broke this Swedish city because his friend Odin felt bad for him and gave him a win. That didn't stop him from trying, though. Trying a lot, in fact. Like when he heard an ogre had kidnapped the Scottish princess, Ragenhild. Hedingus had resisted taking a wife and a queen, partially because he wasn't a fan of the domestic life, but also, if you think about it, everyone who got close to him died or ended up hating him, or was Odin. It was easy to live without fear when you had nothing to lose, and Hedingus lived like he had a death wish. But now, with his father's enemies dead and his throne secure, he had to think about his legacy. As much as he didn't like it, his people needed him, and he needed an heir. Maybe his sky pal Odin would come through for him again when it came to fighting the Scottish ogre, he didn't. Well, I mean, maybe he did. Hedinkus did defeat the ogre in his cave, but he kind of only just defeated him. His last memory was the monster bringing his club down hard on his legs, mangling them as Hedinkus struck upward, blindly, with his axe. Waking up in the Scottish king city, he would learn that he did, in fact, kill the ogre. And the princess he had come to rescue actually rescued him. She dragged him to a cart and directed the cart to the city. And also very luckily, she was a skilled healer, so he would walk again. The bad news? She was picking her husband. Like, right now. Her dad had heard of the hot new trend called shin tinder, the super progressive method where you let your daughter pick her own husband, but only by the attractiveness of his shins. We've talked about this before. And this particular instance models Fjord and Scotty from episode 51. But... In this instance, Ragnhild, the princess, didn't go with the sexiest shins. Hedingus's shins were far from the best looking. They didn't even crack the top ten. But they did have one thing the others didn't. A gold ring that Ragnhild had surgically embedded in them on their way back to her father's kingdom. Hedingus was happy to find the ring-shaped scar wasn't ringworm, and even happier to learn that Ragnhild had picked him. The pair was married, and they made their way back to Denmark. The newlyweds loved each other, but they didn't like what the other loved. Ragnhild had grown up in the forest, around the howling wolves and rugged hills. Hedingus loved the churning sea with its shrieking seagulls, and so it was that the pair had two children together before they parted amicably. A few years later, Hedingus learned that Ragnhild had died. Once again, he was alone. 
again, Hedingus left to go raiding, and it was there that Odin spoke to him for the last time in his life. Through a seer named Sin, Hedingus learned that he would never be captured by an enemy, and wouldn't die by an enemy's hands. After a successful season, he returned home. When he arrived, his son, now in his late teens, was himself out raiding, and his daughter had just been married. He went to bed, and there he saw a vision of his late wife. He wanted to tell her that he missed her, that he didn't care about the sea or the forest. Those things seemed so trivial now. But he didn't get the chance. She looked at him and bellowed a prophecy instead. Her son would be a monster, a killer of wolves, but a good king, a king that was needed in these violent times. Their daughter, though, the daughter was something else. A wild screech owl. With that, she disappeared without another word. Hedingus awoke in his bed, alone. The next morning, he spoke with the seer, but the woman only confirmed what he already knew. His daughter was plotting to kill him. It was true. Everything he touched died. Hedingus sat at the feast. His daughter smiled. His son-in-law sweated. The king ate, not making eye contact or conversation. He didn't know where it would come from, or what form it would take. He knew only that if it came from the son-in-law, or any of their companions, he would survive it. He wouldn't die by the hand of an enemy. If it came from Alfhild, his daughter, he didn't know. He knew she was trying to kill him, but he could never consider her an enemy. In the end, neither the daughter nor the son-in-law could do it. They hired someone. A henchman with long knives under a cloak came for Hedingus. It was disappointing. The guards caught the guy, just as he was sneaking up behind the king. With a heavy heart, Hedingus had his son-in-law executed and exiled his daughter. Still, it would seem that his time had come. Hedingus had done everything to avenge his father's name, but now even his own children were trying to kill him. He had to exile his own daughter and he worried that his son was next, and that he would also turn, turn against him, or die, like everyone else in his life had. For now, his son was a good man, and he could become a good king. Yeah, it was time. The best thing he could do was give up his throne. He could rest. Now, he could die. He knew it was time because he had lived too long to go raiding, and that meant that he had lived too long. It was a world for young men now. The gods were gone. The giants were gone. And there was even a new king in the west. Someone who had repelled the Saxons. Some kid named Arthur. Hedingus had known what Odin's last words meant. That he couldn't die in battle against an enemy. That he wouldn't go to Valhalla, Odin's meat hall full of feasting and drinking and fighting, until the day of the wolf came. He would go to hell, the cold realm of the dead but at least he would see Hargrip again. Maybe even Ragnhild. So, how was he going to die? Then, the perfect way presented itself. There was a tree outside the city. It was big, too. 
There were stories of Odin sacrificing himself in order to learn the runes and gain power over magic. Stories of him hanging himself from the world tree, Yggdrasil, for nine days. Well, Adingus didn't have runes. He would never know magic. But he did have a tree. A big one, just outside the city. He dragged a thick rope through town, gathering a crowd as he passed. No one stopped him as he looped the rope around a tree branch and the remainder of it around his neck. No one stopped him as he stepped free from the roots. He saw his son pushing through the crowd too late, screaming for him to stop. The boy didn't understand, but he would. Dingus was doing this for him, for all of them. As darkness pulsed him from the fringes of his vision, Dingus looked out on the crowd. He saw a raven land, on the shoulder of an old man who looked curiously like Lyser. The man smiled and Hedingus died. I like to think that Hedingus woke up in Odin's golden halls with the meat flowing down the roof from a goat's udders to the thousands of feasting and fighting warriors below that the man who had been a king, yes, but the one who had had the responsibilities and the sins of his father hoisted on him since his birth, was finally free from all that baggage. His death was certainly felt around the Scandinavian world, even in Sweden, the place where he spent five long years snacking on dogs until Odin threw him a bone, pun sickeningly intended. The king there commissioned a massive beer vat for him to honor the late hero, but he didn't cover it. Lots of drinking and lots of dancing led to the king himself slipping and falling into the vat of beer. Yes, the man that Hedingus had worked so hard to install as king after years of fighting drowned in beer. I guess there are worse ways to go, though. Also, the shintinder thing, that wasn't a thing in the ancient Norse world. It happened exactly twice. Parts of the story are modeled after the life of Njord, the father of Freya and Freya. So, yeah. Don't go develop a Shin Tinder app. No one's looking for that. That's not a thing. I want to say thanks to Kiwisi, Lamalba, Ringalinga, Cosmos Rocks, Mendy Moms, MJ Lovett, DBC Thomas, Mixmaster Mac, Falcon Fan 246, Arg, can't find a nickname, Iron Elephant, Natamac, Reese 97, Rocket Scientologist, and Rumbleinator for the reviews on Apple Podcasts. Thank you all so much for getting on there and taking the time to review it. I really appreciate it. If you'd like to leave a review, Apple Podcasts is still the best place. You can find the show there at apple.mythpodcast.com. There's also a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of a paperweight made from the fingernails of a 45-year-old man from Queens, New York, you can get extra episodes, source-back ebooks, and ad-free versions of the show that won't hold down paper, but also aren't paperweights made out of fingernail clippings. Check out support.mythpodcast.com for more info. The creature this week is the Gagate from Native American folklore. Are you looking for superpowers? Want to have a new franchise named after you? Maybe join the Avengers? Okay, here's how you can get some superpowers. First, take out a canoe, and then wreck it. Hard, to the point where it's no longer usable. If you manage to drag yourself to shore, don't go looking for humans or paint faces on volleyballs with your blood. Rather, wander into the woods. There, Eat some combination of berries, moss, and roots. 
If you're in a daze, you'll just know which ones and how many, so don't worry about it now. Then, of course, get naked. Eventually, with the right combo of forced food and nudity, you'll become the Gagget, gaining super strength and the power to fly. Hopefully you're into more of the anti-hero type, because you'll sprout thick black fur all over your body, and your feet and your hands will turn into talons. Also, you'll smell like hot garbage and rotty meat, and just growl all the time. I guess you'll be like Batman on laundry day. You'll also have to suppress the urge to fly around at night, hunting humans, shaking houses, and uprooting trees. Some people say you have the ability to put a magic spell on a village, putting everyone to sleep, and then abduct people at your leisure. And if you're having a hard time suppressing the urge to hunt the most dangerous game, try encouraging people to run toward water. Apparently the Gagget loves their own hot garbage smell so much that they hate water and won't go anywhere near it. So if you and your friends want to be a smelly Muppet Justice League, only one person has to risk their lives with a canoe. Once the first person turns, they can just go up to their friends and breathe on their faces. With a whiff of your friend's trash breath, your hands will also turn into talons. You'll sprout thick black fur and have some spicy garbage breath of your own to make some more hairy friends. Oh, and really quickly, um, I don't know if I have to say this, but I'm going to say it. Do not go crash a canoe to become super Oscar the Grouch. It's not going to work. Please don't do it because you heard it on this podcast. That's it for this week. The theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to other music in the show notes. Today's episode was written by me, Jason Weiser, and edited by Chris Weiser. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>